Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janus Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janus Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Thank you all, and welcome, everybody, to the Halftime Report on this Friday. I am Brian, in for Scott today, and Jay Powell, you might have heard of him, signaling the Fed may start scaling back stimulus before the end of the year, but adding that rate hikes are still a long way away. So what does all of that, if anything, mean for the record rally and your money from here? We will debate that and more with our investment committee today on a Friday. Shannon Sakocha, Jason Snipe, Jim Labenthal, and Pete Nigerian, co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. There is so much to do ahead on this busy Friday, but first, a look at your money. And yeah, look at that green. More new records. The S&P 500 and NASDAQ hitting new record highs, up for the sixth time in seven days. All three major averages on track for a positive week. Yields, they're also edging a little bit higher. The 10-year yield, not doing a lot, but we are seeing a move to about 1.32% as well. Small caps, which had been kind of left out lately, guys, they are on their way back. All right, let's jump right in and talk more about this. Shannon, I'm going to start with you. Is this what it sounds like when doves fly? I think so. <laughs> um, perhaps Prince said it a little bit better than that. But uh, but I think when we look at what happened today, if you <laughs> if you think about what the market was anticipating, we certainly I think we're prepared to talk about a taper prior to year end. But what I want to stress is that there was talk of data, 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 data. There's a dependency here that Powell and the rest of the FMOC continue to point to when thinking about the dual mandate. It's inflation and employment. And whether inflation is transitory or somewhat transitory or potentially more sticky, the employment side of the equation is still not back to where it needs to be in their view. And so if you think about dissecting this statement and you separate tapering from rate hikes, and we're looking out well into 2023, I think, still for additional rate hikes, then the market should anticipate a lower for longer interest rate environment. And for me, what that points to is potential moderation in economic growth just from a year-over-year perspective. And then you couple that with likely this lower for longer interest rate environment. Wow, that really, to me, points to high-quality growth stocks as being a great opportunity in the next couple of years. Let's go to a guy now that was actually in the movie Purple Rain, and that, of course, is Pete Nigerian. Pete, I mean, tapering <laughs> is not tightening. And I think that's the key message. Some people right. viewed this at first kind of semi-hawkish. Oh, the taper may happen earlier. The reality is until employment, and Powell hit us over the head with this, bang, 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 that until employment, to Shannon's point, yep. pops up, we're not going to be tightening, are we? Well, I went to high school with the Purple Man, but I will tell you this. Um, you know, the tapering is going to be an interesting thing, Brian, because there is a divide within the Fed. We know that. We've heard so many on either side of the of this issue that are that are looking for things to happen at a much more accelerated pace than what we're hearing from Chairman Powell. So 
I tend to always look at the boss, and the boss is Chairman Powell, and I, and I listen to his, what he had to say. And I, yes, some of these numbers that they are, they're looking at right now, there are certain parts of the market that I think it makes some sense. And I was just listening to Shannon talking about, hey, she's looking for this uh, definitely when she's, when she's talking about some of the areas that could be impacted most and what might actually accelerate even faster. If we're lower for longer, I think that many of us already see exactly what potentially is out there, Brian, whether that means we're talking about certain parts of the market in those sectors. But I think there's also a, a just kind of a, a ability to maybe take a breath. And the reason I say that is, you know, everybody's trying to figure this thing out, and it's very confusing, and we're getting so many different mixed messages. But I think when it's all said and done, I think Chairman Powell's going to have the votes to be able to keep things where it is and where he's most comfortable right now, given the data that we've got. We still have to deal with Delta variant as well. Yeah, we do. And, Jim, I'm looking at some research from LPL and some others. They do not believe that we will see interest rate hikes from the Fed until maybe 2023. Would you agree? Um, I, I would agree, but I have to say that the uh, confidence interval has to be pretty wide when you're predicting out, you know, a year and a half from now. I think the major point to drive home, though, is that whether we taper in November, December or January is totally irrelevant to what the market does. That's th those months. They're all the same as far as I'm concerned. And whether the first rate hike is December of 2022 or February of 2023 is also going to be irrelevant. Remember the last cycle you saw the first rate hike in December of 2015, and there were three years worth of, of powerful gains after that. Now, I'm thinking also, uh, Sully, to how you opened the show with pointing out the records on the indices, and people may be saying, well, it's too expensive for me. I think that's wrong. I think you've got to look underneath the indices mm -hmm. and look at particularly the reopening trades, which still are way off of their highs from back in May. There's a lot of opportunity there. Don't miss the trees for the forest. And Jason, the planning for the show, I sent the team a chart of the forward P.E. ratio on the S&P 500, because even as stock prices have gone up to, Steve, you know, to Jim's point, the forward P.E. has actually come down to about 22.1 because earnings were so good. We're not talking about earnings. We're talking more about the Fed. What are you advising your clients to be focused on right now? Yeah. Absolutely. So obviously this year has been about earnings growth. And to your point, Sully, uh, we've seen that this year. And, you know, just kind of taking a step back and looking at the Fed commentary uh, from Chairman Powell earlier today and, and some of the other presidents that we've listened to this week, you know, clearly, as Shannon mentioned, I mean, the, there's two mandates. There's a labor mandate and there's an inflationary mandate. And it sounds like we've met that inflationary mandate for sure. And the labor market has steadily been improving over the last several months. So for me, you know, whether we start to taper now or, or taper three months from now, I think it's all about the velocity in which we do it and the timeline between tapering and tightening. I think that's an important concept uh, to, to look at as we look at it from an investor perspective. Yeah, the taper, not the tightening here. And, and Jason, I don't know if you hacked my email to Steve Leesman before the show or you're just precognitive or, or maybe brilliant <laughs> or all three. Let's bring in senior economics reporter Steve Leesman, because, Steve, I actually emailed you about an hour and a half ago. I said, have we seen a shift to more of a employment mandate than inflation? I know they're focused on both. I understand they've got the dual mandate, but it just felt like Powell was focused more now on jobs rather than inflation. What say you? What was your takeaway? So, Brian, I don't want to disagree with you publicly on national TV here. Do but um, So I think the way I would say it is 
that Powell is still more focused on employment. Uh, this has been true of him. Uh, this has made him the most employment-focused chairman that I remember, and I've covered a bunch of them. I think he's my fourth uh, over about 20 years here. He changed the Fed's uh, uh, long-run statement to make it more oriented towards uh, employment. So I would say, Brian, that he is still focused on that. And that's what he did today. If you think about what Jason was just saying, which I thought was a great analysis, he tiptoed very carefully through this taper minefield in this uh, speech saying the Fed is on track to taper this year, but not revealing when. My view is that the substantial further progress test has been met for inflation. There has also been clear progress toward maximum employment. At the FOMC's recent July meeting, I was of the view, as were most participants, that if the economy evolved broadly as anticipated, it could be appropriate to start reducing the pace of asset purchases this year. Let's put on our college English hats. Clear progress is not substantial progress. That's the Fed's test for tapering. Now investors, what do you do? puzzle over whether Powell might change his assessment before the September meeting based on the August jobs report or if he waits until November. Very quickly on Powell, he said the outlook for jobs had brightened. So he's optimistic about getting to that substantial place. Uh, said that inflation will likely be to be transitory, double down on that. And that as you guys already talked about, uh, that rate hikes are really uh, have a higher standard than tapering. We'll skip the next sound except to say that basically uh, he is, has a little disagreement with his committee. Some of his committee members are basically in a place right now where they think they ought to taper right away. They're more worried about inflation than he is with his focus, as you point out, Brian, on employment. Well, OK, a uh, follow up here, Steve, because I think we just answered what's a 10 letter word, meaning we got to wait. And the answer is substantial. Sounds like that's going to be the word if we're going to do word clouds and stuff in Fed comments going forward. Exactly. That's, the, that's the word. Substantial literally is the word that we need to focus on. If that comes out, that may accelerate the timeline. All right. Earlier uh, on CBC with Carl, you said that the Fed and Powell were all in, was your term, a poker reference on the taper. But let me ask you this. Knowing Powell, knowing the data, and knowing the other voting members, who, by the way, switch over, some of them next year, is he all in with a pair of aces or a pair of jacks? You know, just to be clear, Powell is all in on transitory inflation, and that's really the key difference right there. So um, he did say, and I'm trying to check this out, Brian. I did not have time to figure this out. This may be the first time he has said we need to do this reduction this year. So I just want to be clear about that. Um, but th the issue is that he is going to finesse this. And I'm going to use another uh, a metaphor from a card game, which is bridge. He's got a bunch of hawkish people over there say, Jay, let's do it now. He's got some dovish folks over there. Um, he may get away with not having to force the issue in September. But when I, you know, we did a bunch of interviews to, uh, the last couple of days with Fed folks. We've got another one coming up with Rich Clarity, the vice chairman. When I hear them speak, I think they're ready to vote for a taper. And they may be ready to vote in dissent if they don't get that taper announcement in September. And that's something that Powell has to finesse. Jim, jump in here. I know you got a question. Yeah, Steve, uh, always good to get your insight on this because you're the best uh, Fed watcher I know. Um, I, I watched Jay Powell Thank today. You. I don't watch him as religiously as you do. Uh, I got to tell you, as a market participant, I felt like he was putting his arm around my shoulders and say, 
don't worry, let's go get an ice cream. Um, I mean, it really was it was focused on employment. We're nowhere near and the and the indicators aren't showing it and really doubling down on transitory. The question to you is, from a tone point of view, do you think I'm reading him right? Did you read it that way? I mean, the tone was so dovish. It just seemed it, it was really remarkable to me. Yeah, to, to an extent, I would like to remind you, Jim, there was a scene, I believe, in Goodfellas where the, the guy put his arm around Joe Pesci in the basement. Do you remember that? So Got it. I will pause for appropriate laughter on that one. Um, I would just be a little careful about a Fed chair putting his arm around you. Um, and then what was the phrase? There was nothing that could be done, I believe, was what was said afterwards. But in any event, um, the deal is this. Um, he did sound dovish. But he's sort of pointing in this way, he's going to taper. But look, Jim, what I love about you and and most of the guys around the table, they do a lot of short-term trades, but really you have a long-term outlook. At the end of the day, September, November, not going to matter a whole lot to your investment thesis. At the end of the day, a quarter point, six months, or a year from now, at least I hope it doesn't matter. I hope you're not out there, and I know you're not, investing your clients' money on the, 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 the needle's head of the idea of does the Fed do this a little bit more uh, dovish or a little bit more hawkish? Steve, I don't I think just that's said, the case. I just said if that before outlook, you came on, just so you know. I heard that. I just said that before yeah, you I came mean, on, and, so and, I'm, glad, and I'm, I'm glad to get your endorsement. And I'm, picking up on, and I'm picking up on that, Jim, because, you know, what we're talking about is, is there growth in the economy of 2 25 3%? Do we have low unemployment? Do we have low inflation? Those are the ideas, the macro ideas that you build an investment thesis around. Quarter point here, if this economy cannot stand a quarter point a year from now, I don't know. I think I'd be all in gold or platinum. By the way, some calls out there today about buying gold, given that inflationary story as well. Steve Leishman, <laughs> I thought you said, I'm okay, Spider. Uh, Steve, thank you very much. Do appreciate that. Good stuff. Pleasure, Brian. All right, busy day. Let's bring in now our headliner. Is there a bigger headliner? Anthony Scaramucci, managing partner at Skybridge Capital, among many other entrepreneurial endeavors as well. Anthony, it's great to see you back on. It's great to have you back on. we got a lot to talk about, including your conference. But first up, your take on the Fed as a betting man. Do we get a rate hike next year? I don't think we're going to get a rate hike next year. So we'll, we'll see. But I don't, I don't think the, uh, the date is going to be there for somebody like Jerome Powell. And I think he would probably want to last longer in the tapering, you know, delaying the tapering and last longer in the asset purchasing business, Brian. And of course, it's great to see you as well. Yeah, we talk about unemployment and jobs. OK, the unemployment rate was, what, three and a half percent right before the pandemic hit. Jay Powell talking about the very strong economy pre-pandemic. We're at five point three percent. If we're focused that much on the numbers and it appears that Powell is. Is there an unemployment rate that you would point to, Anthony, 4%, 4.2, where you'd say, okay, n- now we got to start thinking about actually raising rates? So remember, it's also the participation rate, which is down a lot. And I think he's waiting for these uh, transfer payments to end in September. Uh, and then there'll be a delayed mechanism there as people start to search for jobs once the transfer payments are done. But if you really look at the long-term numbers and not to bore people, but that U6 number, which factors in all of the things related to job search, not job search, that's probably got to be around a seven handle for him, six and a half, seven. 
somewhere in that zone before he gets more comfortable. Uh, and that's sort of where it was at the end of the fourth quarter in 2019. So uh, I see him as very dovish. I think that's very, very good news for the economy and very good news for the long-term trajectory of the market. Uh, and he doesn't take the punch bowl away anytime soon. Uh, that doesn't mean people should be in a speculative frenzy over that. Uh, just stay long-term and stay invested. Don't try to time the market. And well, you're making a good point about timing, because assuming those, those extended unemployment benefits are not extended again, let's call that September, to your point, we won't get real data until October. There's no way they're going to use one month of data. So push that Correct. out a couple of months. It might be late December's number or the January jobs Correct. number until we start to get some real movement. That's what it sounds like you're saying. I, you know, I believe that, and I believe that they are data dependent, and he is very, very cautious, and I think he's, by and large, from a consensus point of view, done a very good job with the overall economy right now. And so, you know, we like to pretend that the Fed is apolitical, but there is a political game going on with this as well. He does need the support of the president and the Congress, and so for those reasons, I think he sits tight. You know, are we underestimating the risk of tax hikes if this three and a half billion dollar spending plan does get through, probably through a budget reconciliation bill, are we underestimating the risk of tax hikes? There was a guest on with Carl from Morgan Stanley Private Wealth Management saying they think they could have a 10 to 15 percent pullback in equities because the market is not pricing in the risk of what else may come through in that bill with regards to capital gains, investment income or higher rates on the rich. So it's interesting. I was watching that interview and I have the opposite take. And I guess that's what makes a market. I actually think the market is pricing in some tax hikes. And I think the market is accepting that the current corporate tax rate is not going to go back to 35, but it probably doesn't stay here in the low, low 20s. So uh, I'm taking the other side of that, Brian. I think the market has priced that in. Uh, and I also think the market, the reason why we're in such a bullish phase right now is that the comps are actually going to continue to get better, the year-over-year comps, as the economy accelerates. So the 2022 numbers, I think, are going to be very good numbers for the S&P. You, you combine that with this dovish uh, feeling from the Fed, this macroeconomic policy that the Fed is uh, putting in place, I think this is very, very good for the overall markets, the global markets as well. Let's talk about uh, something else, which is your conference, Assault Conference. Generally, was in Vegas. You're moving it to New York this year. It's at the Javits Center uh, starting in September 13th. Talk to us about what it's like right now to have a huge conference going on in two and a half weeks, given everything that is going on. Did you even think about changing your plans? Yes, no, we certainly did think about changing it. You know, I, I talked to uh, Scott Gottlieb and others. Scott will be attending the event uh, we made the decision not to change it. Remember, this is the Javits VIP extension. Uh, these are beautiful, spectacular ballrooms that were built by the state of New York and the city. Uh, Eric Adams will be attending the event now with us. Uh, we, I've reached out to Governor Holkel as well. Uh, we're bringing the event to New York, uh, Brian, because we want to help revitalize the city and the energy of the city. Of course, there's a vaccine mandate in place. Uh, remember, we'll be operating at less than 50 percent capacity, so there'll be lots of space there. We're going to ask people to wear masks internally, uh, but there's a beautiful rooftop venue. Uh, Andrew Rorsarkin will be interviewing Ray Dalio in that venue overlooking the Hudson. The Chainsmokers are going to have an outdoor concert 
uh, at that venue upstairs. So it's not the Javits Center that people are used to. It is the brand new VIP extension to the Javits Center. And I think this is going to be one of those hallmark events where we're going to be showcasing New York. Yeah. I'll have the opportunity to do that. Scott Wapner, who you're subbing in for, will also be there uh, to do some of these interviews and some of the uh, your your economic advisory team like Carrie Firestone will be there as well, John Najarian, et cetera. So we're we're super excited about the event. We accept the fact that COVID is going to be with us uh, and we're taking the protective measures necessary to keep people safe inside that environment. Of course, it'll be well-spaced, and there'll be lots of outdoor activities uh, during that week. All right, pulling it off September 13th. It kicks off at the new extension on the Javits Center as well. And I've heard a few of those speakers. Anthony Scaramucci, thank you. Good luck. Appreciate it. All right, let's move on to technology, because big tech, a big part of this record rally, but, I mean, what's new? And stocks go up because people want to buy them more than they want to sell them. And that has really been true lately. Listen to this new data from Bank of America showing nine straight weeks of inflows into technology. And Shannon Sococha, I want to read you another stat pulled out by the hardworking halftime team. This one just is bonkers. Every 60 minutes in the markets, global technology stocks increase $780 million in value. $780 million in value every 60 minutes globally going back a few years. That's just nuts. Yeah, I mean, the it, it doesn't surprise me. Uh, you know, one of the things we've been talking about over the last few years is every, you know, every quote unquote dip has been an opportunity. And I think what's happened over the last few months is that the relative underperformance of these stocks has provided an opportunity. And we're seeing that. What we're also looking at is thinking about where the spending is going to be over the next few years. And I, you know, whether it's 2% or 2.5%, um, you know, GDP growth over the next two to three years, that's still sort of a low growth environment if we look back historically. But enterprise spend is really picking up. We think about 2020 and companies were basically stalled out. They had some projects that were in flight, but they weren't putting anything back into enterprise spend. We're also seeing small and middle-sized businesses get into enterprise spend as well. And so if you think about how that could potentially impact some of these big cap tech companies, and it's not just Microsoft, it's IBM and Cisco, which we own in our portfolio, I think you should be excited about you know, this potential next two or three years and not lose sight of the fact that these companies have delivered excellent earnings and execution, along with strong balance sheets and, and incredible free cash flow throughout 2018, yeah. 19, and even in 2020. Jason, I know you've talked on this program about NVIDIA, about Qualcomm, some of the chip stocks, Amazon, particularly like an NVIDIA. Okay, all-time record highs. Again, one of the best-performing stocks in the world Are you trimming these at all? I mean, at some point you say, okay, we made a bunch of money. We got to take some profit. Yeah, it's a a great question, uh, Sully. I'll say this in in respect to NVIDIA. It's it's the gift that just keeps giving. And, um, you know, obviously the the semis can be a very cyclical oriented uh, aspect of the market. You know, but NVIDIA, I, I believe it's just the gold standard. They're they're in everything, you know, from gaming, from machine learning, from AI, you know, so I, I, it's hard to trim these names because they just keep on running. Um, but it, NVIDIA is just a great pick. And then in just respect to technology as a whole, you know, I think technology has played different roles, you know, over the last decade. Obviously, it's primarily growth, but it, it has leaned more defensive, you know, yeah. over the last several months as, as investors start to 
um, take into some volatility and say, well, growth at a reasonable price is maybe Fang is where I could find it. Is so, it but is, is think, it still I a think, reasonable price on NVIDIA? Are you still holding on to that gift? So not. It's, it's not. It's not clearly. Obviously, it's an expensive <laughs> stock, but I think it's expensive for a reason. You know, I mean, they again, they are the gold standard in this space. You know, it's, it's worth owning. And quite honestly, if, if there's pullback, I think that's a name that's worth you know buying on pullback. So Nvidia, Nvidia is a great one here. And if we ever get a pullback in the in the next 25 years, who knows? All right, let's move on now and talk about some of the cyclical trades, particularly the financials. They have also been hot. In fact, many of the financials are at or near record highs, and the group is actually the top performing sector this month and this year. Jim. I know you own Goldman Sachs, you own City, you own Berkshire Hathaway, which is kind of a, a semi-financial slash insurance company. Are you, kind of like Jason with the semiconductors, are you still hanging on? These have been the gifts that have also been giving. They've, they've got a lot more to give, Sully. That's my opinion. Um, you know, I, I was, I've been saying this about two months now, that everybody's saying it's interest rates. I think you're missing the picture. Sure, interest rates matter. Um, but what matters more is that we're early in an economic expansion. And I have to stress that. This is the point where loan loss reserves go down. This is the point where loan balances go up. This is the point where shares are bought back in the case of Citigroup below tangible book value, in the case of Goldman Sachs around book value, uh, similarly for Berkshire Hathaway. So you've just got all these positive forces going. And, oh, by the way, I think interest rates are going to keep climbing and the yield curve steepens. So I think we're still very early in this uh, financials trade. This is part of the global picture for value and cyclicals, whatever you want to call it. You're early in an economic expansion. This is when value stocks are supposed to work, and they are. Shannon, I know that you have trimmed a little bit of J.P. Morgan. Is it just J.P.M. or are you trimming slash selling some of the other banks as well? No, just trimming JPM in order to accommodate a new insurance ad in our portfolio. But I think Jim makes a great point. One of the things we talked about in 2019 is that we were waiting for financials to lead the value rotation. And what we've seen is that we've seen this sharp increase in areas like energy and materials, and financials have lagged based on the yield curve. But I don't disagree with Jim at all. I think that there is still continued opportunity in financials over the next couple of years. The, you know, the yield curve doesn't have to be 3% <laughs> for the prospects to improve from an NOI perspective for these banks. And so I, I think that if you haven't been in financials and perhaps you want to take a little bit off the table in some of the steamier parts of the cyclical trade, I think that there are opportunities to add to a broad basket of financials over the next couple of months. Okay, so not dunking on JPM, just wanted to use some money to buy something else. Pete, let's talk about calls. Absolutely. Barclays. SoFi, you're buying those calls. Why not? Why the calls, not this, not the equity? Well, I do have equity in, in multiple different types of financials, Brian. I love Capital One. I still look at that stock, and I can't believe the fact that this thing trades at a single-digit PE. And when you look at these things from price to book and you go through Bank of America, which I also own, I, I think that there's a lot of incredible upside to the points that have already been brought up by, by Jim and Shannon. So I, I think when I look at those names... When I'm looking at SoFi and some of these others, you know, they're a little bit newer for me, so I'd rather test the waters by being in the calls themselves. I am sometimes even leveraging up. For instance, I just recently bought Bank of America calls just today that add on to the stock that I own, so I'm kind of double dipping, so to speak. But I agree. I think these financials have so much more room to the upside, and they've been on a great run. In many cases, if you go back to November and you take a look at where many of these stocks were, just like in energy, materials, and some of the others, 
you'll see that there's been an explosive move to the upside. So I'm really impressed with where we are. All right. Good stuff there on some of the financials as well. And let's move on now because airlines and casinos both soaring this week. But many of these names are still well off their highs. Is the reopen trade back? We'll talk more about these two trades and what one of our investment committee members is doing with them. And as a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go from anywhere. If you're reopening on the CNBC app, download it today. Halftime report with a record market is back in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back to the Halftime Report. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. School districts in Florida can impose mask mandates. A judge ruling that Governor Ron DeSantis overstepped his authority with his executive order banning mask mandates. The judge says that that order is, quote, without legal authority. A milestone for vaccinating young people. The White House says that half of kids 12 to 17 have now gotten at least one COVID shot. The group also showing the fastest growth rate for vaccinations. Just now, President Biden said that the booster shot program in the U.S. is promising and that his administration is working on an exact timeline for further shots. And in Louisiana, residents are getting ready for another potential hurricane. Tropical Storm Ida expected to strengthen into a Category 3 major hurricane before it comes ashore. That's expected to happen on Sunday or Monday, somewhere along the Louisiana or Florida coast. And on the news, preparing for another natural disaster on the Gulf Coast and a storm that is showing all the signs of intensifying rapidly. Tune in tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern. Brian, I'll send it back to you. They do not need that down there. Lake Charles, Louisiana, had no power for about six weeks during the last storms. Let's hope that storm blows away. Rahel, thank you very much. All right, we have got a news alert. Storm of a different kind. Kate Rooney is here. Kate. Hey, Brian, we've got some news out from the SEC. They're putting out a request for information and public comment on some of the digital engagement practices by brokerage firms. This uh, brokerage firms, this has to do 
with certain marketing tactics and outreach through a lot of those mobile apps and use of tech by those brokerage firms, as well as they call, quote, gamification. So this includes some of the behavioral prompts, some of the different marketing they use, game-like features, as they say, and some of the other design elements that are meant to really engage with retail investors. On the one hand, they say that apps have increased retail participation in the market. On the other hand, they say some of that digital engagement can kind of potentially harm retail investors if they prompt them to either trade too frequently, use strategies that carry additional risk. They do mention options trading by name here. They say that it's not clear that this will turn into regulation. This is really so the commission can better understand some of the risk and it's so they can consider, quote, whether regulatory action may be needed here. So they're really asking for feedback from investors, soliciting feedback over the next 30 days here on gamification. Shares of Robinhood now, uh, let's see if we can pull up that chart, but uh, they don't, do not mention Robinhood by name, but some of the brokerage firms, let's see, pretty much flat here on that news. Back to you. Yeah, but the news just crossing. We'll see what happens. We'll watch Robinhood. Kate Rooney, thank you. Pete. You own Robinhood calls. Does this make you nervous? Um, no, not necessarily, Brian. I think it really comes down to educational process and are they doing the right thing? And obviously the SEC wants to look into that to make sure that people are getting into things that they absolutely have knowledge about what their risk is, because that is the most important thing. And as long as they can prove that they are doing that, then obviously that gives people the opportunity. Everybody can make their own decisions. And I think that it's going to be interesting, though, Brian. We have always at Market Rebellion always pushed that you need to have that information, that educational side of things. so You really do understand what the risks really are when entering into a trade. I think everybody's trying to do their very best and educate people as fast as possible. But I, I don't know what the time frame, I don't know how anybody could ever say there's a time frame on what you do educationally. I think you have to go through a testing process. That's what we've always done to make sure that people are learning along the way and understand what their risks really are. All right, Pete, thank you very much. Let's move on and talk Vegas, baby, Vegas, because it's also been a big week for two <laughs> big groups of the reopen trades, airlines and casinos. The major airline stocks up between 5 and 10% this week. TSA numbers showing 1.8 million people got on a plane two days ago. And the casino names like Las Vegas Sands, Wynn, and MGM each seeing double-digit gains this week. But most of these stocks, of course, still well below their 52-week highs. And Shannon, you were part of that. You just sold your LVS, Las Vegas Sands. Yeah, which is, it's such a challenge right now with this particular name. So we've owned this company for several years and actually purchased it uh, on the back of great free cash flow and a strong dividend. And so cutting, you know, obviously no longer paying a dividend. And for us, the outlook over the next couple of months appears a little bit cloudy from a consumer perspective. They're definitely going to benefit from a continued reopening in Macau. Um, but there is a bit of a, an overhang, as you know, on anything that's associated with China, even for a U.S. domiciled company like LVS. And for us, it was either, either add to the position or eliminate the position in favor of something that was a better opportunity. And we made the decision to eliminate the position. But, you know, for us, the, again, it comes back down to we're, we're much more positive on business cyclicals right now than consumer cyclicals and probably will remain so for the next couple of months. All right. Good stuff there. And let's move on, because while the markets are hitting new highs, Disney is actually one of the worst performing stocks in the Dow and the S&P this year. And there was kind of a, a mixed call out on Disney today. We'll talk about why it's mixed and get our experts take on whether or not you should be owning, buying or selling Disney right now. 
Markets at new records. Hope you're having a great Friday. We're back right after this short break. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back. Well, if you haven't noticed, Disney shares pulling back 6% over the past six months. Not a huge move down, but certainly not participating in this record rally. Now, Deutsche Bank, out with a kind of a mixed call today. They did reiterate their buy rating on Disney, but they lowered the price target to 200 from 213. Firms still, still say the stock remains a very attractive long-term holding, but Jason still downgrading the price target. So recent new buy for you. What's your your take on Disney and your take on this call? Yeah. Yeah, so I, obviously it's a new buy for us. You know, for me, you know, as I, as I look at Disney, and I didn't try and chase it last year. It obviously performed very well. It's definitely underperformed the market this year and the, and the industry that it resides in. But what I will say is I think the opportunity long term here, I, I've seen what a great job they've done in restructuring their debt you know, and, and how they've really been on the offensive since the pandemic began. You know, I think there's pricing power from, from, a, from you know, theme parks and, you know, and advertising. I see opportunities there as well. So uh, streaming, streaming is a competitive industry, but I think there's also upside from there. So th- this is a difficult call for me, obviously mm-hmm. a new buy, you know, but, I, but I'm hopeful that uh, it'll continue to, it'll hopefully move, you know, here before the year is out. Jim, you owned it. You've owned it for a while. You've talked about it on this program many times. You're sticking with it. Uh, You're darn right I'm sticking with it. I've owned it a little over a year, so I bought it after the heart of the pandemic. Um, Let's call this what it is. It's a stock that's in consolidation. Nothing more, nothing less. The stock went up 70% from late October to early March of this year, late October of last year. Um, When you have a move like that, it's normal for the stock to consolidate. What you still see is great streaming business here, reopening of the theme parks. I'm not going to listen to anyone who talks about valuation because this is a stock that's recovering from the pandemic still. So a lot of cash on the balance sheet. I think what Jason did is exactly right. If you don't own Disney, this is exactly the time. The stock has consolidated for almost six months now. It's going to break out. Which way? Probably to the upside. I, from the fundamentals, I, I just I can't I can't fathom the bear case, and maybe that's me being being blinders on, but I don't think so. Darn tootin', you're holding on to Disney. Good point there. Watching the consolidation trade. All right, stay with us because Pete is up with his latest trades and unusual activity. That is next. What is he seeing that's unusual? We'll find out right after this. All right, welcome back. Time now for Unusual Activity. Pete, HP and Zynga, what are you seeing? Right, I'm going right after your spot in the energy space, which I know you know so well, but Hemerick and Payne, this is a really interesting one, Brian. This is a stock that was trading about $35 back in June. It pulled back significantly to 24. Here it is at 26 and a quarter today, and we have some 27 and a half call buying out in September. 
10,000 of those calls are getting bought out in, in September. Wow. 75 cents. Very, very interesting to see that. I think that there's some upside here. The stock is definitely well off of its recent highs. I think this thing's ready to explode to the upside. Secondly, I've got Zynga. Now, we've had Zynga on a couple of occasions for unusual option activity. It's hit multiple times over the last month or so. Stock was about eight. Now it's trading right around nine. They're buying 10,000 of the September nine calls. So it really doesn't take a whole lot of a move here. And the inexpensiveness of these options, we're talking about 21 cents to 34 cents on these options to the upside. Any move into the nines, these options start to accelerate to the upside. I'm in both these trades. I like them, and I've got a lot of exposure in energy, Sully. I still think there's upside right now. Well, HP is a big contract driller down 10 bucks off its highs from the summer. You do wonder if that buying yep. signals that somebody, anybody, is bullish on more drilling activity as demand for gasoline just soars. By the way, right. traffic is just brutal. All right, more trades still yeah. ahead. As we go, break a check on some of the stocks hitting new highs. You got Darden Restaurants, Equifax, Ingersoll Rand, not names that we talk about all the time, but that's the fun of it. Record markets, we're back right after this. All right, welcome back. Let's take a step outside of stocks for a moment, shall we? Because there is something really big and very important happening on CNBC. And that is a new documentary where Meg Terrell took a deep dive, behind-the-scenes look at the race to develop the COVID vaccines and get them to market in record time. Meg joining us now with a look at something, personally, I can't wait to watch. It is a, it is a hell of a story. That it is, Brian. It really focuses in on the huge risk-taking that companies betting on a technology that had not yet been proven yet took at the early days of this pandemic, messenger RNA. Of course, that was the obvious route for a company like Moderna, founded around that technology. But for Pfizer, it wasn't so obvious. And in fact, BioNTech told us that when they first approached Pfizer in late January, early February, the drug giant wasn't yet interested. Take a look at this. It was not uh, given that we would go for mRNA. Actually, mRNA was the most counterintuitive decision because of all the choices, because there was never a vaccine made with mRNA. So I, I wrestled a little bit with, uh, with the decision. We had another meeting, and uh, they convinced me. And I said, yeah, that's, let's take the risk. We go for mRNA. Clearly, for me, it was very counterintuitive, but we said, let's go. Uger, while we were doing all of that, called Catherine Jensen, Uga called me and said, you know, we have those constructs. He has been working on this for a while. Five weeks later, yeah, I did a second call uh, called Katrin Janssen and told her that, that, we are, that we have now candidates and that we are developing a vaccine. And at that time, the outbreak was already in New York. A truly a dramatic story, Megan. And, of Megan. course, the rest is history. Yeah, yeah and, and I had the opportunity to speak with somebody in the room when they got the results at Pfizer, and they were literally crying and hugging as, as much as they could at the time with social distancing and everything. And, and Meg, you know, the one thing about this documentary is, is that are you going to go into the history of MNRA? Because a lot of people talk about, oh, this is new. MNRA, it may be new for a vaccine, but it's been around for 50 years. <laughs> well, in fact, mRNA itself has been around for as long as, you know, we've been around in the whole uh, central point, dogma yes, of biology yes. has been around. <laughs> but as a technology trying to apply it to medicine, of course, it has been something that's been worked on for years. This really focuses in on the bet on using it for a coronavirus vaccine, but it's such an important point. And it's kind of like a Lego for medicine, right? They can use this for other things they think down the road, maybe even cancer. 
Absolutely. That's something we also talk about with all of these companies. What's next? Seasonal flu is some of the earliest on the horizon, but they're also working on this. And in fact, BioNTech had to pivot away from personalized cancer drugs using mRNA to focus on this vaccine. That is going to be a big frontier for this technology as well. Truly remarkable stuff. Meg, appreciate it. Everybody, do not miss that. A race against COVID. You can find the documentary at CNBC.com and CNBC's YouTube pages as well. Worth a watch. Check it out. All right. The traders are making more moves in their portfolios. You're going to learn them next on Halftime. All right. Your investment committee is making some more moves in their portfolios. Two in particular. Jason, you're up first. Why are you adding to Medtronic? Yeah. So for me, uh, I was slightly underweight here on Medtronic and just added some additional capital. I really liked their their print uh, last week. I think 19% organic revenue growth, 100, 190 launch of new products, which is a record for them. You know, I like healthcare in general. I think preventative care and elective surgeries are on the way to a comeback. So I, I like Medtronic here. So I decided to add some additional capital. All right. Good stuff there. And Pete, I mean, there's a company called Target. I don't know if you ever heard of them. Target. They're based somewhere around you. You've owned them for like 72 years. You're adding now to Target. Why? Why now? Well, and I added calls, Brian, not stock. Ah. And the reason I did that was the stock had an odd reaction um, to unbelievable earnings. And of course, if you just go back just a couple of earnings cycles ago, you would have found that they also, again, were called about peak earnings. Well, it didn't happen then. I don't think it's happened again. But the stock has reversed and pulled back significantly off of its highs. So it looked like to me that there was a great opportunity with the options because I see this being potentially a nice snapback. If I'm wrong, then I might eventually move over and have uh, stock rather than just the calls themselves. But I think this could be a very quick move potentially. But depending on how the markets play out and obviously the Delta variant and some of the other things that are going on out there, I thought it was very prudent to rather use the calls this time rather than stock. Making some people in the Nicolet Mall very happy. Pete, thank you. All right, your final trades next <laughs> on Halftime. <laughs> it's a Minneapolis deal. Missed the show? Don't sweat it. The Halftime Report now has a podcast, market-moving interviews, call of the day, unusual activity, and, of course, Ask Halftime. Look for us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast. It is final trades time. Shannon, why don't you kick it off? We talked about financials earlier. Take a look at CME, largest derivatives exchange operator in the world. And they have a, a lot of cutting edge, innovative interest rate products, which are going to continue to be important in the inefficient world of bonds. Jason. CRM, five consecutive quarters of 20% revenue growth. I really like this SaaS name here. Wow, Salesforce plug there. All right, Jim, what, do you, what about you, Farmer Jim? Well, Sully, you know, he's not on the show today, but I got to tweak him anyway. Uh, Steve Weiss would certainly not approve, but Boeing is, is my final trade. Uh, the airlines are coming back. Traffic is picking up. Frankly, you just need new planes. You do. And there's only Boeing and Airbus. So uh, there's going to be more orders coming in. You just got to stand by and be patient. There you go, the BA. We'll see if Weiss responds online. And by the way, Pete and Jerry, in your final trade. He will. A un- yeah, he will. A unique oil and gas company, a Pennsylvania play. Yeah, I'm going right in your backyard, man. I'm going to Cabot Oil and Gas. I like this name. I think there's a lot of energy names out there that it can work. I think this is one of them that can work in a hurry. So I like this for the upside. Yeah, Cabot's operations almost entirely focused in the Marcellus Shale. 
That is in the northeast corner of Pennsylvania. All right, everybody, thank you very much, guys. Appreciate it all. Thank you for watching the Halftime Report. The Exchange with Kelly begins now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.